James chapter 2, the sin of partiality. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but do do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless merciless (laughs) to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, which is true, that we can stand on, that your mercy resides over all generations and over all nations. Lord, help us to seek your mercy today and each day. And God, I ask the, a special blessing over the offering today, those that would give, Lord, that you, they would give out of the abundance of their hearts, that they'd be a cheerful giver and that you would bless them abundantly. Bless the rest of this time and the, the word that will be preached in a few minutes. God, help us just to come to you with open hearts right now and worship you in spirit and in truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning and we confess there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. It is through Jesus alone, Father. And so we thank you that in your great love and your mercy towards us, that you sent your Son to die and rise again so that we could have life. This morning, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us by your Spirit and that each one of us would have life in you. Father, give us the joy that is in our salvation. Remind us of that this morning, even as we talk about these sins that James calls out today, Father. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our life. And we give you this morning in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys, and happy Mother's Day. I like Sean. I should say hi to my mom. She watches online, too. So hi, Mom. Thank you for all that you've done in my life, and uh, I'm thankful to my wife as well for all that she does for our kids. And so this is a great this is a great weekend. You know, yesterday I was watching the Kentucky Derby. Now that I've lived in Louisville for a while, you know, you just got to get in on the Derby. And if you watch it, it was quite an event. And uh, the, the, the last horse... The greatest underdog, 88 to 1 odds, here he comes and he wins the Kentucky Derby. How cool is that? 
So I hope you got to enjoy that yesterday and get to enjoy Mother's Day today while the weather's nice, but tonight it might snow, so there you go. Welcome to Utah in the spring. Um, Well, we're continuing in our series, as we've said, in James, the faith that works. Uh, And as we've heard read this morning, we'll be looking at James 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, talking about this uh, topic of partiality or basically an unfair bias and what that means for us as believers in Jesus. Now, before we really really get into talking about partiality, uh, I want to point out a a point that James brings up in verse 1 of this chapter that I think really coats what he's talking about here and and other things. He he calls us to do this. He, He tells us to show no partiality, but he says, as we hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so you might think of, uh, if you've seen an old Revolutionary War, Civil War thing, where they're like, hold the line, baby, right? They're lining up for war. That's what James is saying, hold the line. This is how we hold our faith in Jesus as we begin to do these things. So it's important as we consider the works of faith that we are considering week to week in James, um, that we think about it in terms of this. this. is a good way to case what we're doing here, to hold our faith. What does it mean to hold the faith. And so the Bible really teaches us two things about the faith um, that we hold. One is that we have been given the gift of faith. Okay, this was given to us. This is why we hold it. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And so in coming, the coming of Christ, as he accomplishes our salvation, God works in our lives changes our hearts, and He gives us the gift of faith. It is a supernatural work in our heart, not something we can muster up, but God does it in us, and then we are to hold it as precious. And then, secondly, the Bible calls us to steward this gift. This is part of what it means to hold the faith, to steward the faith that we have been given. It's been given to us as a gift, and now how do we use it in the ways God has intended? And as 2 Timothy 1.14 says, Paul instructs Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. So there's that idea again that this has been given to us and we have a responsibility to our faith to guard it and to increase it in our lives and in the world. Uh, Philippians 3.16 talks about it in this way, let us hold true to what we have obtained. So again, we've been given it, and now we need to grow up into it, live it out. Uh, We've been called holy. We've been called righteous. Now we're learning how to do that, and James is helping us hold our faith and do that well. So this is a faith that works. We start on the foundation of the gospel that we have been saved by grace, and then we begin to walk it out as we hold this faith in the various ways that James has called us to. And so this week, James has called us to think about this sin of partiality here. Look at James 2, 1 through 9, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So because we claim Christ and we hold this faith given to us, now we are called not to show partiality. And this is, a, this is an interesting word, one we don't probably use as much in our context as we might have in years past. But this 
word for partiality here in the Greek is actually unique to the Bible. It's found nowhere else except right here, and many believe that it was a a word made from a translation of the Hebrew word for favoritism, and it literally means to receive the face or receive things at face value. And so to be partial means to make judgments about other people based on external characteristics, their appearance, their ability, their social status, their race, etc. And so James here then begins to give us an example, as we see in verses 2 through 4, a specific situation of where this uh, partiality is being shown in the church, and it's between the, the rich members and the poor members in the church. Here's what he says. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, why don't you stand over there or sit at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? So you can see the problem here that James is describing going on in the church that he's speaking to, that there was rich and well-renowned people coming in and they were receiving favoritism, maybe given the front row, which is kind of funny because none of us want to sit in the front row. Um, In fact, we joke that there's kind of like a little bubble around us as pastors up here. Kept us safe during COVID. But we'd like you to sit on the front row, actually. Um, But they're letting these people that are well-renowned sit on the front row row and telling the people that don't look so good, why don't you just sit in the back, right? Or you can sit on the floor, but don't don't mess up my chair, right? And, and I've had friends where this has been the case in their church. A good friend of mine one time saw a deacon refuse a guy from coming in. My friend then got very mad about him, so this does go on. Um, but it may not be one of those things that we're kind of used to in our day and age. I can think about one time when I was on the receiving end of some partiality. Uh, and if you've ever been there, it can be it can be a hurtful thing, right? When I was 12 or, or 14 years old, uh, I used to be really involved with taekwondo, right? Okay, another weird fact about Jared. I have a second degree black belt in taekwondo. And um, I was being discipled up to um, teach and lead in that, and so I was invited to be one of the judges at a competition, not an official judge, but a side judge, and several of us did this. We sat there, and we judged the competition, and at the end, they had all the judges stand up in a line in front of everybody, and they were thanking everybody as well as us that were learning, and as they went down the road, they introduced each person, and they said their name, and they thanked them for doing it, and when they got to me, my, the guy that was training me, he said, I need you to step back behind everybody else. And he pushed me back and skipped over me and did everybody else but me. And let me tell you, that hurt. And I, to this day, do not know why he did that. There was something about me, and we'd had some other problems in, in life, but something about me that he found unacceptable and, and pushed me back and honored everybody else but me. And, and it can, I mean, it hurts, right, when people are partial like that or choose something about you from the outside and decide to push you aside and honor somebody else. 
And so I think James 1.4 is the key here when he's talking about this. He says, look, if you've given preferential treatment based on exterior things, you're making ungodly and evil distinctions that are against what God desires for his church. This is not how the church should operate. It's not good. It's not godly. And ultimately, he's going to tell us it's sinful. And this is why. Because the Bible teaches us that the gospel, God made the gospel and the community of the church to be available to all people and all nations, as we've been singing about this morning. We can look at Colossians 3.11 or Galatians 3.18, both say about the same thing, that in Christ there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, Free in Galatians 3.18 adds, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction to God that the, the gospel is available to all people. All are welcome, whatever race, whatever class, whatever gender. God says, you are welcome to the salvation that I offer through the Son. And so it's good that He's saying we are all one in Christ, we are all members of this body in the church, and yet it doesn't also erase, it's good to make this distinction, it doesn't erase God's distinctives that he has given us to play different roles within the church. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this, look, we're all part of God's body and we're all different, and yet I have gifted you by my spirit with all the other believers to do a certain job in the church. And so God's acceptance of all doesn't erase his distinctives that he has given each one of us. No one is excluded from the gospel and the kingdom of God, and yet God in his wisdom has given us different roles in his body as he has seen fit. Now, I was talking with Pastor Kevin a, a little bit this morning, you know, and we were thinking, I think we've done pretty, pretty good with this one, this specific example uh, in risen life. I'm actually really proud of us in this, that wherever you are economically, rich, poor, I think we welcome you. And I've seen us welcome those that are uh, in economic hard times and those that, you know, they're hanging the moon out there in the city. We, we've done well to do that. We've been humble to, to bring people in and, and, and love them well. And yet, as we know, there's always room to grow, right? There's always dark spots in our mind where we don't really see where we're doing things. And so this is a good reminder. And I want to I apply this to several other areas of our life where we may be showing partiality that God is calling us to look at. So let me, let me bring this one up to you. Who do you talk to on Sunday mornings? I think sometimes we can, it's easy for us to talk on Sunday mornings to people that are like us people that are pleasant to us, people that bring us joy, and maybe to the exclusion of the people we don't know or, or people that aren't like us. But part of what God is calling us to do on Sunday mornings is to welcome in those that are coming into the church, like James is talking about, and, and help them get included in our community. And so let's Let's work at being those that greet all that come into our doors. In fact, I would challenge you, every Sunday morning, you ought to look out there and find somebody you don't know and get to know them. 
Because that's what God would have us do. That's what he's talking about here. Don't just get excited about the, the ones you like. Get excited about the ones you don't know and maybe are a little different from you. Help them to feel at home and encouraged. I think generally, you know, all of us can be kind of partial to those that uh, can provide us benefit, right? When you know somebody that has a certain job and they, they might get you that deal on that thing you really need, you treat them a little nicer. Some of that's just being shrewd, but sometimes this can operate from a scarcity mentality that, you know, God may not provide me with all that I need, so I need to go out there and get it. And yet, he's calling us to be people that care for everyone regardless of the benefit that we may get from them. Because he cared for us in our time of need, we can care for others. And so God is calling us to care for even the least of these in our midst that really have nothing to offer me, right? And what you do find is when you do that, they actually do have something to offer you. I can think back my first year in college, I went to the University of Utah, and, and at that time, there was not as many Christians there as there are now. And so I went to the college group, and I looked around the room, and I thought, I don't think I relate to anybody in this room. <laughs> and yet I made a choice. God was working on my heart and teaching me some things that if I was going to live out my Christian faith, these are the Christians that are here, and these are God's people, and I ought to love them like God's people. And so I began to love them even though they were different than me. And guess what? Some of them are still my friends today and some of them even go to this church. <laughs> and it's good to see them what God has done as I put aside my thoughts about what I saw and began to love them as Christ loved me. You know, I also think I thought a lot about this one this week. Sometimes we can show a lot of partiality in our parenting when you have multiple kids, it's really easy to love those that are more like you and the thing and the kids that you get benefit from, the ones that are easy to deal with. And I used to laugh about these passages in the Bible, like we were teaching about Genesis, where Jacob, he's not very fond of Reuben and Levi, but oh, Joseph and Benjamin, those are his guys, right? And you think, ah, how could you ever do that? And then you have four kids. <laughs> and I think God is calling us to pour into our kids regardless of what they are like. We are to set the gospel at the forefront of our mind, to lay down our preferences and our thoughts, and to raise them up in the Lord. Those kids need to experience God's love from us regardless of what they may be like to us. And so let me encourage you as parents that you find ways to celebrate each of your kids as God has made them. And... Finally, I think, you know, we've had a large discussion here in the last couple of years in our country about race and racism, and this is a big, this is a big topic, and it really boils down to this, this idea of partiality, that we would show some preference based on what we see from the outside and those that are more like us. And people have proposed lots of solutions, as you've heard about lately on the news and other places. But I want you to see that within the gospel, there is all we need to get at this problem of racism. And we don't need anything other than the gospel. It starts with the fact that we can look at ourselves and others and realize that we are all sinners before God. And all, all of us naturally, because of our sin nature, desire to, to be with people that are like us and to exclude others that are not like us. And yet Jesus came to save all men. He created all men. 
And so we have a starting point of unity around the fact that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And so salvation by Christ becomes the point that we can rally around together. And because God has invited us to His table, we can invite others to His table that are not like us. We were not like God when He invited us to our table. In fact, the Bible says that we were His enemies. And yet God laid down His life for us so that we could be with Him. And though there may be things and actions that need to be forgiven, and we can forgive those because Jesus has forgiven us. So let me encourage you. When you are discussing racism with friends and these type of things, put the gospel on the table. Bring it into the equation because this is the only thing that changes the human heart. Sure, we need laws against racism and all sorts of things, but laws sure don't change my heart. It's only what Jesus does in your heart that will change your heart. And so in the gospel, we have everything we need to end racism. Now, over the last 10 years, it's been our joy as a church to serve and worship with our brothers and sisters from Guatemala. And, you know, it's pretty awesome what God does when you're willing to love people that are not like yourself. All the political rabble that's been going on about people from Latin America and immigrants, and here we are going to Guatemala every year, right? And you know what God did with that? He formed this relationship between us and Tono, and now God is advancing His kingdom through this partnership. We're planting churches here in Salt Lake City to to serve the Hispanic community, all because we said, you know what? I want to love those people like you have loved me. And so I'm excited when Tono comes back in next service. He's already started his church point here with this Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 where we're gathering together people that are beginning to plant this church, and he's going to come in and sing with us this song that Sean, Sean did a good job, right? That's, that's some hard words, singing in Spanish, when you're not a native Spanish speaker, but Tona's going to come in and sing that duet with him in the second service. So, so let's work at being a church that is welcoming to the nations of all races, of all different types of people that are not like us, because Jesus has been welcoming to us. He has welcomed all people. And let's not be afraid to lead with the gospel as the primary solution to racism in our country and in our world. You know, this final picture in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 is of all the nations, all tongues, worshiping God. And let me tell you, if you start loving people that are not like you, you're going to have a lot more fun on that day when we all get together. So James has called us to be believers in Jesus that are not partial to those that come to be a part of the church. And then he goes on and he gives us a couple of reasons why, and some of these are, these are quite good. So first he's already told us that partiality is evil. And then look at James uh, 2 verse 5. He also tells us that you ought to love poor people because God has chosen the poor. <laughs> he loves them. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? In other words, the very ones you're shunning, God has chosen. I believe that we can extend this to many of the marginalized in our culture that we may be tempted to reject, and yet God has chosen the least of these among us to be rich in faith. So to reject the poor and the marginalized would be to reject those that are, God, that are close to God's heart. 
Furthermore, James tells us that God has chosen them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. This is much like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It means God values the people that you despise, and he's actually gifting them with faith, maybe beyond your own. And it's not the poorness that makes them godlier, as some ascetics in the past have thought, but being poor actually in this world puts us in a position of need. And I'm convinced after traveling around the world and seeing poor and destitute in so many countries that it's often our wealth and affluence as Americans that I think causes us to be apathetic towards God because we don't need anything. <laughs> we think we got it covered. And yet we are some of the most unhappy and mentally sick people on the planet. It shows that we have a, a deep down need that is not being met, that our spiritual need for God is being covered over by passing pleasures of possession and opportunity and experience. And in contrast, I've walked with and seen believers that, that had nothing were in dire circumstances, and God had granted them great faith, and they had more joy than I've probably ever had in my life. And maybe it's time to reevaluate our priorities so that we don't miss the kingdom of God. <laughs> Become poor in our spirit. Be willing to give to those in need as God has given to us. Thirdly, you know, James speaks about this. He said in verse 2, 6, and 7, He's going to say this, that you ought to regard the poor because it's actually the rich people that oppress you. <laughs> this one's funny to me. He says, are not the rich the ones that oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? I love his reasoning here. He's saying, don't you get it? You're treating these rich people so nice, and they're actually the ones in the culture that are causing you all the problems. <laughs> You got it backwards. They take you to court. They blaspheme the name of Christ, and you're honoring them. <laughs> I was watching Saturday Night Live last night, which they had some funny Mother's Day skits. And, uh, but they were making fun of conservative Christians, particularly in this latest news about abortion in the Supreme Court. And yet if one of these actors came in our doors, what we do, come sit on the front row. <laughs> That's what James is saying. Leaders of your culture that oppress you and cause you problems, you're honoring them. You're playing into the system. This is not God's way. In fact, God has set up a different kingdom with different rules, and all are welcome because Jesus has welcomed all. Finally, James tells us to show no partiality here in, verses, in verse 2-8 when he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgression. Here's, here's the heart of the matter. He's saying, look, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and he's called us to love others, and, and as we said last week in Matthew 22, uh, when he summarizes the law, he says you ought to love God of all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as as yourself, this is the heart of the matter. you got to love other people as a Jesus follower. And Philippians 2, 1 through 8 is a really good place to look if we want to see what that looks like, where Jesus left the, 
the riches of heaven, and he humbled himself to come live with the sinners and the poor, himself being one of the poorest of the poor. And he calls us to do things not out of selfishness or conceit, but to follow his example and love others that are not like us. James is telling us is that if we love our neighbors, most of them, well, that's good. But if you're still partial to others in other areas, you've missed the boat in that sin. Now, right here in the middle, as he's talking about this, he says a few words about sin in general. Look what he says about what it means to transgress God's law in James 2, 10 through 12. He says this. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. And James is making a really important theological point here that any sin we commit, any sin separates us from God, that if we become a lawbreaker in total and we are separated from God and incur guilt in His punishment. And he gives the example of murder and adultery. And I want you to see something here. This is why the Bible doesn't teach a works-based righteousness that we can ab- somehow obtain favor or salvation through what we do. You know, I have this picture of, of, of a scale here. And we often think about our good and bad deeds this way. If I can just get the good ones to outweigh the bad ones, then, then I'll be okay before God. But James is saying, look, if you, if you fail at one point, and we all have, as Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we fail at one point, that means we're accountable for all of it. That means that our sin on the one side is infinitely weighted. There's no way you could stack enough good deeds on the other side to balance out that scale. And worse than that, the Bible teaches that in Adam's sin, we were all gained a sin nature that has to be overcome. We are by default sinners, unable, unable to keep God's law even at the smallest point. But the good news is God doesn't leave us there. Because of his great mercy and love towards us. Classic passage, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, Look, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even When we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Furthermore, he says in Romans 5.18, just as Adam's sin led to sin for all, so in one act of righteousness through Christ, justification came for all, righteousness for all. That Christ came and lived the perfect life before God, accomplished all righteousness God desires, and when we confess him as Lord, Jesus takes Christ's righteousness and he plops it right on the scale, and you know what side it goes to then? (laughs) Towards righteousness, infinite amounts of righteousness, and then as believers in Jesus, there's no amount of ongoing sin in our life that could ever weigh out what Jesus has done in our life. We are righteous forever before him, and Paul tells us, then walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've received. Now, for James, instead of partiality, he wants to give us one more point, and this is it, that we should walk in mercy. This is really the opposite of showing partiality. Look what he says here in James 2.13. 
He says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and yet mercy triumphs over judgment. James brings in this idea of mercy, and mercy is really showing kindness and concern and compassion to those that are in need. And keeping in the tone of this passage, he's saying, look, if you've not shown mercy to those that are not like you, then God is not going to show mercy to you on the day of judgment. But James is also telling us that God delights in being able to overcome his judgment with his mercy. Psalm 103, 6, and a couple other verses says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And band, you can come on up. And similarly, we should delight in showing mercy because we have been shown mercy by God. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we stand in judgment before God, as we have shown mercy, God will show mercy to us. It was Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law, and that is in him we can have mercy or confidence before the Father. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so we're talking about a faith that works. How are we going to hold this faith and steward it with the grace of God that he has given us? How are we going to live it out? And James has reminded us as followers of Jesus, we should not show partiality, but rather show mercy to people. Because we know what it is like to receive mercy. Christ has, has welcomed all to his banquet table of salvation. And the church should be the first to welcome those that are not like us so that others can find him. Because God showed mercy to us in our greatest need, we show mercy to others. So this is our challenge this week. It's our challenge. Who is God calling you to show mercy to this week? Maybe you haven't shown mercy to someone in your life, and you need to repent of that. God says, that's fine. Come, turn from your ways. I'm, ha- I'm happy to forgive you. Let's do this thing together. Let's show them my mercy as you show them mercy. Maybe you've been partial. Let's get that right with God. And maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You can do that this morning. We'd love to teach you what the Bible says about being a follower of Christ. Finally, maybe you've done pretty well here. But I think if you have, then ask God to give you more opportunities. Ask Him to give you more opportunities to show mercy to those in need for the sake of the gospel. And let's see what God does as we live out a faith that works. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for what You're doing in the life of this church and our community of believers. Father, help us to take on Your heart that celebrates mercy, that loves all Father, help us to bring people into the church and love them as you have loved us so that they can find out about you and follow you with their lives. Father, give us a faith that works. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.